Jesus talks about people's love growing cold towards one another. I'm seeing Christian marriages blow up. The marriages of, of ministry leaders, of pastors, blowing up. Sexual affairs, uh, heterosexual affairs, homosexual affairs, you know, uh, abuse. We're seeing people blow up. Do Jews need the third temple to receive atonement from sin? And what does the recent arrival of five red heifers from Texas signify about the end of days? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem to answer those very fascinating questions. Hi, Joel. Welcome. It's great to be with you, Carl. And uh, yeah, this is a fascinating topic. I'm eager to have it with you. Sure. As we, you know, are approaching the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the the Day of Atonement, this whole development of arrival of red heifers, unblemished, in Jerusalem, approved by rabbis, uh, raises some fascinating questions about do the Jews need a third temple and a restoration of sacrifices in order to receive atonement from sin and, and other things? Joel, help us unpack some of this stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Wow, there's so much to, to cover here. So <laughs> first, I'll say that uh, our news uh, organization uh, called All Israel News, um, we reported in recent weeks that these five red heifers were brought into Israel by a Christian businessman from Texas who runs an organization that's been trying to identify and find perfect, pure, unblemished red heifers. These are cattle that they happen to be red, and but it's distinctive. It's 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 semi-rare, um, mm-hmm. rarer still that they wouldn't have any blemishes. They've all been brought to Israel. Now, it's, it, it, rabbis have not yet certified that they're 100% unblemished. Like it'll still take about another year or so to see if they develop any like white hairs that aren't red or any, if they have any sicknesses or anything, but there's an anticipation growing. Why? Because in the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the old Testament, the Torah, God told Moses that in order to purify the priests for them to be able to set into motion the operations of the tabernacle and then the first temple and the second temple, they you had to uh, sacrifice a perfect, pure, unblemished red heifer. And after you sacrifice it, as part of the sacrifice, you would also then burn that sacrifice. And the ashes would be used ceremonially in the purification of the priesthood. So... Of course, there hasn't been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the temple and burned Jerusalem and killed a million Jews. That was a horrific period. And so there, there hasn't been a temple. And there, and even with the rebirth of the state of Israel in 1948, well, Israel didn't control the Temple Mount, right? That didn't happen until 1967, uh, the Six-Day War. But even then <laughs> – uh, the Israeli government at the time didn't want to dismantle or damage in any way uh, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque that sit on the Temple Mount today where the temple used to be. Why? Because they didn't want to start another war with a billion Muslims, right? Uh, those are considered the third holiest sites in Islam after Mecca and Medina. So all that to say, 
the Israeli government, which was pretty secular, thought, well, yeah, we have Jerusalem now, good, and we have the Temple Mount, good, but we're not going to change the status quo on the Temple Mount. In fact, when they signed the peace treaty with the Kingdom of Jordan in 1994, they specifically said they wouldn't do anything to upset the status quo, which meant there would be no third temple. Mm -hmm. Now, we can get into in a few moments, there are numerous prophecies, both in the Old and New Testaments, that tell us there will be another temple. But the other element was for highly religious Jews here in Israel who care about a temple. They want a temple. They believe that you need a temple to bring Mm -hmm. the Messiah, much less to bring about atonement, that, okay, yeah, well, whatever, but we still need a pure red heifer to sacrifice and then burn and then have its ashes. So that hasn't happened. So those are a lot of pieces. And suddenly people are like, oh, maybe we're getting closer. Hmm. Interesting. Joel, do you think that this action of bringing these heifers to Jerusalem is is part of a larger agenda on the part of some to take, if they will, matters into their own hands about bringing about this uh, this third temple? Yes, I do. You know, it's interesting to me. I'm not the type of person. Well, I don't raise cattle to begin with, so I, you know, I've never been. Involved <laughs> We're talking to in, uh, two northeastern city boys here. We don't raise cattle. I don't. Even, had to look right. up what a heifer was. Right. Exactly. So I, um, I think it's interesting that it's a Texas Christian businessman who who's so passionate about doing this, and it seems like a lot of effort, a lot of money. But he is passionate. Our, I, I didn't interview him for the two stories that we've done on this. I did a column about it for All Israel News. But one of our, you know, our news editor and senior correspondent, she's done two articles so far on this where she interviewed uh, this gentleman. All that to say, as I mentioned, there are numerous prophecies in both the Old Testament and the New that a temple will exist. What's interesting is that there aren't any prophecies that give any details about how the third temple will come to pass. Hmm. And therefore, there, you know, it's it's open to discussion. There are some who believe it's some in the Jewish religious community. Well, the Messiah will come and take care of that. That's not our job to be involved in that. But others are like, no. Well, the Messiah is not coming until the temple is built. Where else would he, you know, preside from? Where right. would he reign over the world from if not the temple in Jerusalem? So of course we have to have a temple. And so they feel like they do need to take measures into their own hands. They don't think of it as taking it into their own hands. There's an organization called the Temple Institute here in Jerusalem, and they, over the years, have been developing architectural plans for a third temple. They have been training Kohanim, uh, priests. They've sewed the clothing for the priests. They have been developing the implants, all according to the Torah, all according to the Old Testament, you know, the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses that lay out in, in exacting detail exactly how you build a temple and how you prepare the priests and so forth. For them, the one of the main missing elements, there's two. One is they don't have a red heifer that's pure and that they can sacrifice and burn to have the ashes. Mm-hmm. But then after, even after that, the question is, where is this temple going to be built? If you don't do anything with the Muslim sites, Dome of the Rock, you know, that gold dome, and then the Aqsa Mosque right next to it, there is a plaza right there that's fairly spacious. You theoretically could build a temple right there, right next to it. But you'd have to have some sort of agreement, first with the Jordanians and with the Palestinians and the rest of the broader Muslim world. You know, it's one thing to make peace with Israel, but it's another thing to to mess with, to tamper with, in the view of Muslims, 
the, the status quo. And mm-hmm. that could bring about all kinds of tensions. And uh, so it makes it interesting. I did write a novel about this years ago, about how this, uh, several novels about how this may play out. But the Bible doesn't tell us how. It only tells us that yeah. there will be a third temple in the last days mm-hmm. prior to the second coming of Christ. Mm. Now, we want to make a distinction here that this is not necessary for, you know, uh, we've talked about this before, the distinction between the rapture and the second coming. Would you just say, I mean, to the idea that these events that portend and will harbinger the the arrival of Jesus a second time don't necessarily correspond to a doctrine about predicting when the rapture would occur. Is that right? Right. Exactly, Carl. I think that's a very important point that uh, uh, theologians over the years who believe in the rapture, and that's not every Christian, but of course many do, I believe the rapture is real and the Bible is, you know, talks about it. The term rapture is never used in sure. the Bible, uh, but we can get into the, the concept of the rapture. In fact, we need to do a whole show on the rapture. Like, what is yes. it and Note why yourself. do people believe it and why do that's people right. not believe it? But the point is, uh, rapturo is a Latin word, and in First Thessalonians chapter 4, which is certainly the most important and central and clear text about it, there are several others, but the most uh, central text about the rapture talks about there will be a point in the last days where the Lord begins to descend, and then he snatches up, or he, he catches up, or he raptures <laughs> every born-again follower of Jesus Christ in the world, away from the world, and that sets into motion the, the horrible period of judgment known as the tribulation. Now, that Greek word is harpazo, meaning to catch up or to snatch up or to whisk away, okay, harpazo. And that is translated in Latin as rapturo. And so if you're reading a, a Latin Bible, which Catholics did, those mm-hmm. who could read, you know, over many centuries, they would see the word rapturo, which in English, you just turn into rapture. So that's where the term comes from. Hmm. All that to say, that is an event that could happen at any moment. Theologians, who, again, who believe in the rapture say all the evidence is that you're supposed to be ready because it could happen at any moment. And that's called the doctrine of imminence, meaning it could happen at any moment. Now, that's true, but it's also interesting because many theologians, not to get too much in the weeds, but even particularly dispensational Theologians, meaning people who are specifically mm-hmm. believing that God works in certain ways at certain times, certain dispensations of time, they have argued for many years that the rapture is a signless event, meaning there are no signs that would indicate that you're getting closer. Now, I disagree with that, hmm. but I understand where that came from, meaning if, if you believe it could happen at any moment, then there doesn't need to be a sign. Mm-hmm. Okay, but Jesus gives a whole list of signs in Matthew chapter 24, mm-hmm. Luke 21. Mark chapter 13. And when you look at the list, you realize, oh my gosh, those things are in motion. We are mm-hmm. seeing the wars, the rumors of wars, the, the natural disasters, the economic catastrophe, the shaking of the world, the apostasy of the church, unfortunately, you know, getting worse and worse. Uh, people love growing cold, lawlessness, you know, false teachers, false prophets, false yeah. messiahs, false religions, all that spreading. Plus the gospel is spreading to sure. every nation. So Apparently, even though the doctrine of imminence has meant for 2,000 years that the rapture could happen at any moment, and some people thought, well, that means there are no signs that would give you a signal that you're getting closer. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that there have been signs, and the rebirth of Israel, which is symbolically described as the fig tree, that too has blossomed Mm -hmm. in these last days. So all that to say, 
there's not a, a specific sign that has to happen right before it, but it turns out there have been signs that tell us we seem to be increasingly in the season. Yeah. Now, the red heifers are not <laughs> prophetic in the sense that there's not that's not on the list of Jesus, right. but it makes sense that if we're getting closer to the building of the temple, right. And people are starting to prepare for that. A red heifer would emerge. And I think that's what makes it interesting right now. Well, indeed. And we want to get to the implications for some of this in just a second. But we've got to take a quick break right now. And we'll be back in a second. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse for the day is found in Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Our prayer requests today are, first, to pray that Jewish people will come to see the need for a Savior from their sin, the Messiah, Yeshua, and second, Pray that those who are seeking for signs and wonders will focus instead on bringing the good news to all in the epicenter. Joel, we're back, and I'm just so fascinated by this subject because in many ways, you know, we live in a world that is just confronted with so much of the fulfillment of Scripture. It almost becomes overwhelming to kind of categorize and catalog all of these things. But I think something like the arrival of five red heifers in Jerusalem from Texas, everybody goes, huh, what's that about? But Joel, you mentioned before too, you know, some of the things that we see going on before the second coming of Christ will necessarily also be happening before the return of Christ in the rapture for his church. You know, some of these things involve what we see is the breakdown of, of morality and society and those things. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you see those things figuring into Jesus's uh, words to the church, you know, as we approach these times, which we know are, are ahead of us. We are living in just such extraordinary period of time because, um, you know, you look at some of the topics we've discussed in this podcast over the last several years, the, the pandemic alone, you know, we haven't had a global plague anything like this in a hundred years. Go back to 1918, the Spanish flu, right? And we've talked about that, you know, the Joshua one did that very interesting poll and asked, you know, do you see the global pandemic as potentially one of the signs that Jesus talked about when he said there would be pestilence, the plagues that would spread across the earth in the last days of history? And we found that 40, I think it was about 40, 43% of Americans said yes, 
uh, among Christians, it was also it was actually a little higher. But even among atheists, we were finding people saying, "Yeah, that seems consistent with what Jesus talked about." And it is. I, I totally believe that the global pandemic and the death of six million, six and a half million people worldwide from COVID is one of those signs. The fact that Russia is building this alliance with Iran, we've, we're seeing a number of things, but but we're also seeing the breakdown of morality, as you say. And right. Jesus talks about people's love growing cold towards one another. I, I'm seeing Christian marriages blow hmm. up. The marriages of, of ministry leaders, of pastors blowing up. Sexual affairs, uh, heterosexual affairs, homosexual affairs, you know, uh, abuse. Um, we're seeing people blow up. And, and unfortunately, you can't just say, well, Okay, the world doesn't know Jesus, so they're you know they're drifting further and further away. That's true. We're seeing lawlessness, and we you know the, the just as you take the United States alone, I know we could talk about every country in the world that has their issues, but just you look at the last few years during COVID, the riots in New York, in Chicago, in Portland, and you know just Minneapolis, all over the country, right? Yeah. Lawlessness, you know. So, but you also see Christians blowing up. You see Christians, not only just their marriages blowing up and their families blowing up, their children blowing up, their grandchildren, but people leaving the faith and saying, I never believed in that, or I did, but I don't now. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And this is what's called apostasy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, th- that happens in every age. You're going to have people who, you know, turn away from Christ. Judas did. Mm-hmm. And he walked with Jesus for three years. He'd seen the Messiah healing and teaching and preaching, and he betrayed Christ in the final uh, days. So that's always happened. But the Apostle Paul talks in Second Thessalonians, it's going to get much, much worse. And that itself will be a sign when, when you see droves of Christians breaking away from faith in Christ. And that that is happening. I think it's going to get worse. And I think, you know, that is very sobering. It's very sad. Mm-hmm. But it also means that as hard as it is to watch or, or to try to, you know, counsel someone through it and see them not listening or whatever, Lynn and I are experiencing that. I'm sure you guys are. At the same time, when you see, you know, the rebirth of Israel and you see Jews coming back, we had 150,000 Jews make Aliyah, come back to the land of Israel and become citizens this year. That's the, the highest number in 20 years. That's kind of amazing yeah. that – um, and why? Because Jews are getting nervous about living in other countries besides Israel. They're like, hey, Israel's a hard country to live in, but I think it's time to come home. Yeah, That's interesting. And then, of course, these prophecies. Again, we don't see a temple yet, but we see signs that people are getting ready for a temple to be built. And in a moment, we should probably just go through, maybe not in great detail, but just touch on yeah. what are those prophecies that tell us this will happen. Yeah, I was just about to say that, and this is this is the benefit of working together on podcasts for so long as we have so far, uh, and that is, what are some of those other signs that would indicate this? I mean, it's not random actions that are taking place, but we do know that God has put some of these signs in place, but what are some of these things? Well, on the positive side, right, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, this good news, this gospel of the kingdom— that you can be saved from your sins, that you can be forgiven, that you don't need a temple to atone for you. And even if there was a temple, it won't atone for you. That's the old covenant. The new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of to the Jewish people and that Jesus came to fulfill is that when the Messiah comes, he will die. He will be cut off and he will suffer and his death will be the one atonement as a perfect atonement, a perfect sacrifice to cover all of our sins, past, present, and future. And this good news that the Messiah has come and he died, but he also rose again, Mm -hmm. conquering death. This good news of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world 
yeah. as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. This is the one positive one, aside from the rebirth of Israel, in the list. Most of the list is bad. False religions, false prophets, false messiahs, betrayal, all these issues, and, and of course, war and terrorism and mm-hmm. uh, revolution, uprisings. All that's bad, and we're seeing all of it, tragically, sadly. But uh, there are some good things. Now, what's interesting is that uh, the idea of the temple – look, I wrote in my book Epicenter uh, back in 2006, and then in the the, uh, follow-up where we expanded a bit, Epicenter 2.0, I think that came out in 2008, I said that one of the future headlines you will read is that the third temple will be built in Jerusalem. Now, again, as you noted before, and rightly, we don't know – whether that temple will get built in our lifetime mm-hmm. because we don't know if that what well, one, if we don't know if God's sovereign timing includes the time we're in, even though we're seeing so many other prophecies come true. Mm-hmm. We also don't know if it'll happen before the rapture or after, but it will happen. The temple will be built. And how, I, I don't know. Again, I said, I wrote some novels about how it might happen. The copper scroll was one of them. Yeah. But the fact is the, the prophecies are, are clear. Uh, the Hebrew prophet Isaiah told us that there would be a third temple. I'll just give you this Isaiah 2.2. 2. Now it will come about when? In the last days <laughs> that the mountain of the house of the Lord, meaning the temple mount, will be established as the chief of the mountains hmm. and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Right hmm. When the temple is rebuilt, it is going to be uh, a, a place where all Jews are going to want to come, but people are going to want to come. It'll be the, the great wonder of the world, right? The ninth wonder of the world, perhaps. The Hebrew prophet Micah told us that there would be a third temple, Micah 4.1. The Hebrew prophet Daniel tells us a lot of detail because he tells us not only will the second temple be destroyed after the Messiah comes the first time and is mm-hmm. cut off, then the temple will be destroyed, Jerusalem will be destroyed. Well, we know that was fulfilled, that part that of happened. Daniel chapter 9 in 70 AD, right? Mm-hmm. So then he makes it clear that a t- another temple will come. And a figure that we have described as theologians, as believers, as the Antichrist mm. will emerge and he will create a deceptive peace treaty between Israel and its many, many neighbors. Mm. And then three and a half years after that treaty is established or confirmed, the Antichrist will desecrate the mm. temple. So the temple will have already been built in the in the last days. The Antichrist will come desecrate it. He will stop the sacrifices that are happening there. And then he will set up the abomination of desolation or Mm. some translations or some interpretations is that he himself is the abomination that causes desolation, meaning he will set himself up in the temple Mm. as God. And, Mm. And that gets reaffirmed by Jesus. Jesus talks about this specifically. He cites Daniel in Matthew chapter 24. The apostle Paul talks about it specifically in Second Thessalonians chapter 4. And of course, in the book of Revelation chapter 11, the apostle John is given this vision of the future and he sees the actual third temple fully functional, operational. Yeah. And he's in charge of seeing it, describing it, even measuring it. So all of those prophecies tell us that a temple is coming. The Antichrist can't emerge and be revealed until that temple is there. Yeah. So when you take all that together with all the other signs that we've been talking about, this thing, it, you know, the issue of the red heifers and that, the whole thing suggests that maybe we're not that far away. Now, look, these yeah. particular red heifers may not end up being ceremonially pure. Maybe, you know, there have been times uh, throughout right. history where something emerges and then uh, not quite yet. But there's yeah. going to be a sovereign moment where God says, I'm setting these things into motion. Mm. Now, the Jewish people, the religious Jews will think this is the way of 
atonement. And this is the way of bringing the Messiah back. Mm-hmm. Well, I only agree with him on one of them. It will be part of the Messiah coming back. That's for sure. Yeah. But it won't be about atonement. But Jews will think it is. And so yeah. that will be a tension. Do I need atonement by rebuilding a temple? Or is the only way to get atonement from the death of and the resurrection of the Messiah? And is yeah. Jesus that person? That will be a huge question as we continue to go deeper into the last days. Well, no question. And there's a sense in which you you see that working towards a certain intermediate end, Christians and uh, religious Jews, you know, feel common cause in that. But at some point in time, there will be a uh, differential outcome that we won't have the same common cause. But Joel, I want to talk about a couple other things that we've talked about in prior podcasts. You know, we've talked about the war of Gog and Magog, as that was uh, yeah. explained in Scripture, and just really how there are two, one prior to uh, the rapture and one post, uh, you know, in some of the constellation of events happening at the second coming. Prior to the tribulation. I, I can't yeah. say that the okay. war of Gog and Magog, the first one will happen before the rapture. Well, I that's true. Does. That's like true. I'd like to for it, but certainly <laughs> before Dick, the tribulation. Yeah. Sure, we stay corrected because obviously good theology says a rapture can occur anytime. So we, we recognize that. But recognizing also that in that, you know, we've talked about some of the unique and supernatural evidences of God's unique uh, blessing and call on Israel could happen after that war when God supernaturally defeats those united forces. Would this be a moment, do you think, that Israel would be feeling emboldened and strong enough in light of the Arab around to, to at that point, take on rebuilding the temple? Yeah. So that's the scenario that I laid out in my novel series a number of years ago, starting with the Ezekiel option, which would have described the buildup to the uh, the war of Gog and Magog, how might it play out? Not that I know exactly, but how might it play out? So that was a novel. Then the next novel was called The Copper Scroll. Not focusing on the novel, but the concept in it was Ezekiel 39 talks about how God is going to supernaturally destroy these Russian, Iranian, and other forces that come to surround and attack and devour Israel in the last days. The Bible talked about uh, fire falling from heaven. It talks about a massive earthquake that's leveling buildings and horrific diseases spreading, uh, you know, killing the troops and of the enemies. When you look at all that, you think, well, isn't it possible that in that context, if fire is falling from heaven on the enemies of God, that God might just clean off, as it were, the Temple Mount and he'll have defeated all these enemies. And then if fire falls from heaven on the Temple Mount, and then you sort of wake up the next morning, and through the the mist and the smoke and the haze, you realize there is no Dome of the Rock. There is no Al-Aqsa Mosque, and there are no enemies who can stand against Israel, at least for a season. Mm-hmm. That suggests to me a prime candidate. I can't say that the Bible is clear that that's when the next temple would be built, But it strikes me as a prime candidate because now you have all the pieces in place. Israel is safe and Israel can build it. And, you know, my father was an architect for 50 some years or so. You know, I I watched him design and and oversee the building of very large and complex buildings. The temple will be a, a complex building. You can't even chisel the stones or do any of the workmanship on the site. You have to do it off site and then bring it and construct it and build it. Everything mm. has to be prepared off-site, according to the Bible. So 
it's a complicated thing. And what I mean is it's going to take some time. It took, uh, you know, I think 40 some years, I believe, to build to fully build out the second temple. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, Herod made these huge uh, additions, meaning he he built a larger platform around Mount Moriah so that hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people could worship there, not just a small number during Solomon's time. Anyway, all that to say, that is a prime candidate of time. Now, could all that happen in our lifetime? It actually could. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that it will, but I'm saying it could. And just like with, you know, people saying for years, well, if you believe that the prophecies about Israel being reborn as a country, then that could happen. When is going to happen? I don't know. But then it happens on May 14th, 1948. And you think, well, okay, but yeah, there's an Israel, but Israel doesn't even control Jerusalem. How could there be a temple if if Jews don't even control Jerusalem? But then they control Jerusalem in 1967. And then you think, well, they control it, but they don't sort of really control it. So anyway, there are skeptics who say, no, none of that's true. But the skeptics are losing the the argument. (laughs) God keeps doing the very thing that the skeptics said couldn't be done. Now, maybe he takes longer than the skeptics think he should, but the skeptics are skeptics no matter what. Right. And so as you watch these things happen, you realize this is going to happen. And Mm -hmm. we may be the only podcast or one of the few in the world that – that believes that in the literalness, the literal prophecies, they mean literally, physically, there's going to be a third temple. Yeah. Now, let's get not get people too confused. There's going to be a fourth temple, too. And I'll just say Ezekiel talks about a fourth temple because Jesus is going to come and he is not going to reign from and preside over the world from a temple that's been desecrated right. by the Antichrist. So he'll get rid right. of that and, and build a much better, much bigger new one. But that's the fourth temple. But there are people who don't believe that one day there will be a third temple. I've been writing about it and speaking about it for years because I believe the scriptures. And I don't have to know exactly how it's going to happen. I just need to know that it's going to happen, and I need to say it. And uh, where better than on the Joshua Funds Inside the Epicenter podcast? Because the Temple Mount is the epicenter (laughs) of the epicenter of the epicenter. Of the epicenter. Yes. Well, you keep talking about that. And eventually, I think uh, with the millions of people streaming this and and seeing uh, that this is actually, I think the conversation is moving in that direction. You know, so many things in our world are happening in ways that we never thought possible. And I don't mean to, you know, bring in other subjects, but, you know, you can talk about the positive and negative implications about things that are happening in our world that just 10 or 15 years ago, people thought were, if not impossible, horribly unlikely. And yet we see those things happening in, in countries and societies around, you know, the globalization of the economy, the globalization of many other things have, have created an environment in my mind where more and more people should be open to the fact that we may not know how, but we certainly can rest assured that it will. As surely as everything else God has said in his word that has come true, these things will come to pass as well. Joel, I, I, I know our time is is getting a little bit close here on this subject. There's so much more we want to talk about these things in the years and, and uh, episodes to come. But uh, maybe if there's one summary thought that you could give us on this whole idea of these sorts of events like the third temple coming forward? Well, uh, you know, people have a choice to believe that what God said in prophecy is literal, that he really meant it and that it's going to happen and that we're already seeing things happen that most people, including many of our church fathers, didn't ever think like the rebirth of Israel. Like to me, the most important set of end times prophecies that have ever come to pass are the rebirth of Israel and Jews coming back to the land, millions of them after centuries, 20 centuries of exile or 19 centuries of exile, 
and Jews rebuilding the ancient ruins and having a, an army that is able to defeat by the grace of God its enemies and now peace breaking out. All of that was written about in scripture thousands of years ago. And most people have not believed it to be true, including many, many Christians and including many whole denominations today. Most, I mean, I'm, there are Roman Catholics who believe these prophecies, but the Roman Catholic Church doesn't teach them, right? The Methodist Church right. doesn't really teach them. The, the Presbyterian Church mostly does not teach them. So it's not that there aren't individuals there who believe it or even pastors or priests. But overall, you have large swaths of Christians that are like, Israel is, is there, yeah. and we don't wish it ill, but it has no biblical or prophetic significance. That's sad because that's, yeah, those are people indeed. who love Jesus and, and say they believe in the Bible, but they just don't get it. Okay, I'm not going to get in a big fight with them, but I'm going to. You and I are going to keep teaching from Jerusalem to people listening all over the world, and I'm grateful for that. Hmm. What does the Bible actually say? Because again, we go back to being an evangelical. I think that was our first podcast, right? And the first point about being an evangelical is that you consider the Bible your highest authority. If the Bible says it, it's true. You may not understand it. You may not like it, but it's true. And this is one of those that, that you know that, that that there will be a third temple. And to watch most Jewish people here in Israel not believe there's going to be a temple and have no interest in it. Okay, that's not stopping God. Uh, God is in the process of revealing Himself to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel, and uh, our team hasn't really gotten it. But God will keep opening our eyes, and uh, here we are in a country now. Uh, almost 10 million people that didn't exist yeah. for 19 centuries. And it didn't exist as a sovereign independent state for more than 20 centuries. So here we are. And yeah. that is a major set of end times prophecies that have come true. And I think it's one of the great evidences to people who don't even believe there is a God or don't believe that the Bible is true, that there is a God and the Bible is his word and it's true. And we should look mm. at what does the rest of the Bible say and we should take it seriously. Amen. I love that as a summary, because at the end of the day, this podcast and everything we really are about at the Joshua Fund, as you know, is to is to help people build their confidence in that God has a plan and a purpose for the entire epicenter region. You know, the, the, the both and ideas, both now and forever in the future. So I think that's really an important aspect for everything that we do at the Joshua Fund. And Joel, I'm, I'm always so grateful that you're able to articulate these things that, that from the surface seem a little bit mysterious. Like, why would it matter to have cows delivered into Texas? <laughs> I have no idea, but you just explained that, I think, extremely well and very helpful to us. So uh, thank you for, uh, for this time, Joel. Appreciate it. Happy to do it. I'm always glad for the questions that you raise, Carl, and I love to unpack the Bible with you. Amen. Well, if you've found this podcast valuable, please, we'd love for you as a listener to get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Yeah, what do you want to talk about on the show? Things like we've just covered about the Third Temple or, or other questions that you want Joel to answer. Go to thejoshuafund.com and click on Contact Us. Feedback from you is incredibly valuable to us as we continue to develop and deploy this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. 
I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.